morning. If you have your Bible, we're going to be spending most of our time today in Psalm chapter 40. We'll start off in Acts chapter 1 for just a moment, but we'll spend most of our time in Psalm chapter 40. And as we do that, uh, I want to let you know we've got about two more weeks left as we talk about how we're a part of a bigger relationship, our relationship with our Creator, God Almighty. Um, before we start transitioning, get ready for uh, Easter and talking about uh, how God has adopted us into a bigger family. So we're going to be walking through all of those things uh, coming forward. But today, a part of our relationship with God is evangelism. Now, I don't know how, how you are about evangelism. I think sometimes we believe um, when the Bible says God made some to be evangelists, that that means only some people need to be evangelistic. And in reality, evangelism is part of the way that we cultivate our relationship with God. And I, I just want to think, think about this. Um, if, if you remember back, if you are a, a parent to when you got pregnant, ladies, we say as a couple, like we got pregnant, but we know better, right? When, when you got pregnant with your first child, right? When you got pregnant with your first child, right? How long did it take you to break the news to somebody that you weren't married to? When you got pregnant, I mean, some, some of you probably like us, we were quick, we, we were out the gate ecstatic. We are going to have our, our first child pregnant. How far along are you? We have no idea. We just know we're pregnant. You know, we're just clueless. And we're, we're declaring that to everybody. Guys, a little bit different. Maybe even when you decided that the, the lady that you were uh, dating for that long period of time was the one you were going to marry, right? And, and you just remember saying, I've met the one. That was it. I remember walking into a friend's house uh, the day before Thanksgiving. We were having dinner together, kind of a pre-Friendsgiving kind of thing. And I just remember walking in and saying, I just went out with a girl I'm going to marry. And their first question was, does she know? And I'm like, not yet, but it's all right. This is the one. When, <clears throat> when we find something or someone that changes our story for the better, we like to tell others about it, don't we? We love to tell people about it. And believe it or not, that is the basis of evangelism. The only difference is that evangelism is telling other people how the greatest person in all of history has come into your life and made an impact and changed your eternity. So, so we're actually very good at witnessing we're really good. Some of you are really good at witnessing at, at the store. Like your favorite, you know, makeup is on sale and all of a sudden your text messages blow up. You know what I'm saying? We're really good at witnessing. Well, I want you to know our testimony, our sharing of a testimony is simply you and I saying, this is who I am. This is what Christ did for me. And I know, and I love you. And I, I want you to have a part of that. It's the story of death to life, hopelessness to hopefulness, empty to full, worthless to priceless. So today, as we talk about evangelism, as we look at Psalm 40, we're just going to read a testimony of King David. Because at the end of all of this, not only is the truth good for us, but you and I need to understand that being a part of God's relationship is realizing that he has more than enough to share and not take anything from you or me and to add to every other life in creation. 
This is a psalm of David. As we read through it, I want to let you know there are a few places in this where David speaks in the plural, ours and us. As we read through it, I want you to know King David isn't just speaking for himself. He's speaking on behalf of the people of God. David being the king of Israel, being the, the ruler, God's man on the throne, isn't just saying, this is my personal testimony. He's saying, this is the testimony of your people. What I love about this testimony is it is just as true today as it was the day David said it. It is just as true and even more clear now after the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as it was when it was simply the prophecy of Jesus Christ pointing to the Messiah. And so as we walk through this, I, I want you to unpack this with me. And then there are places for you to, to jot down notes if it's on your phone or uh, a pen in your hand about how you can share your testimony as well. So Psalm chapter 40, let's read verse 1 and verse 2 as we get things started today. This is what the Bible says. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps sure. And as we read this, this, this might not sound like the beginning of a testimony because David's saying, I waited patiently. And I don't know how many times I've read this passage and I think, you know, we, we laugh. I don't want to pray for patience because God will give it to us kind of thing, kind of make jokes about that. We think that's something that only really spiritual people have. But in this testimony form and in the words that are written here in the Hebrew, it's not the picture today that we would think of as waiting patiently. This word in Hebrew literally means um, eagerly awaiting with expectation. I am eagerly awaiting with expectation. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is not just I waited patiently for the Lord. He was like, it was like a, a kid saying, okay, mom, I'm sitting in my chair. When can I have my piece of cake? Like, when's it coming? You know what I'm saying? Have you, have you seen someone wait patiently like that? I have a surprise for you. Sit there and stay there. What do you mean sit there and stay there? Do you need any help? Do you need to come out of the garage? What can I do for you? Is it heavy? That's how, man, that's how we get around waiting patiently, right? Wife, I have a surprise for you. Really? Well, you'll get it tonight. Oh, do I need to clean out the garage? Do I need to make space anywhere in the house? Do I need to move the TV off the mantle? You tell me. I'll get you ready for it, right? When, when we talk about waiting patiently, we have this picture of someone who looks half dead, half bored, sitting in a chair. That's not what David says here. When we talk about our testimony, David says, I waited patiently for the Lord. In other words, with hopeful expectation, I was still for God. And we're going to find out it wasn't all on him. But before we get to that, I started to ask the question, when I think of waiting with a hopeful expectation, I started to ask, what does the word hope mean? So Webster Dictionary says it this way, hope is to cherish a desire with anticipation. Hope is to cherish a desire with anticipation. I, I started going through uh, every journal I could go through um, from uh, sociological ones to psychological ones. And, and basically at its core, when I pulled all that together, what I, what I found out is there's a general definition of hope that's believing that something better is ahead. Hope is believing that something better is ahead. Now, now this is a, a real picture for us. 
Because David in his psalm is saying, my life right now is stuck in a miry pit. We, we get this picture of a cistern in, in Israel. And a cistern, if you, if you can imagine, is where the water run off from the streets gathered, right? In kind of a storage uh, jars, for lack of a better word, giant storage jars for this water runoff because water is priceless in, in the desert, and so these cisterns were a part of the drainage system. It would collect water. And these cisterns made of stone were like 40 feet deep and 16 to 18 feet across. These aren't small, and they're all over or all under the city. And so when David talks about being stuck in the miry pit, being stuck in the miry clay, this picture of a dark cistern is what I want you to see. At the bottom of the cistern is all the sediment that comes from messed up streets. Now, are you with me? You follow? Do we need any graphic pictures of that? Animals are on the street. Children are on the street. Don't put that in your mouth is on the street. And, and that sediment is in the bottom of the cistern. And David is saying, this is where I'm waiting for God. There's a picture of hopelessness if that's all we have. See, you and I, outside of Jesus Christ, left to our own purposes, find ourselves on the inside of the cistern of sin, wading through the junk and the filth and the grossness at our attempts at life. And the very best that we can do, our very best that we can create, our, our wet, soggy mud couches, wet soggy mud pies we, we can decorate dark walls of stone but it's the same junk what david is saying is this all of my attempts everything i have to work with everything that i am even my very best it leads to hopelessness and there came a point in time where i looked up and i was made aware that the almighty god was able to do what i cannot do was there ever a point in time where you believed that? Where you became aware that the sin that you were dealing with in your life was, was never going to get you home. It was never going to get you full. It was never going to get you hopeful. When that point in time came in my life, there's only two options. Hopelessness or hope somewhere else. What David says is, let your hope come from the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. I waited patiently for him. I didn't even know it, but I was waiting on him. In the start of your testimony, it doesn't begin with, well, when I was three years old. Your testimony is, is really about this awareness of what sin does in your life and the separation for God and your helplessness to make it better, no matter how hard you try, but that there is one who can do something different. You see, God's creativity is different than ours. We're to be going on Wednesday nights for the next few weeks, uh, 10 weeks to be exact, through 10 key stories in the Old Testament that every believer should know. 
And the first one is in creation. And let me tell you something in creation. The word that is used for God created in Genesis 1 is not used for any man throughout Scripture. It's a unique word that is only connected to God. In other words, God creates in a way that no man, no woman, no artificial intelligence, that no one else can create. All of our creation is different than the way that God creates. In other words, God is different than us, and he is able to do things that we can't do, including bringing life from nothing. If God can bring life from nothing, church, he can bring life from death. And our testimony saying, God, I'm waited patiently for you. You inclined and you heard me. I was stuck in the pit of my sin. I was surrounded by the walls of my own building. And you were able to reach out your hand and put my feet on solid rock. I mean, this is Peter's story. Peter's on the boat and Jesus is walking on the water. Peter calls to Christ and Christ says, come on, come walk to me. And as he's walking, he finally starts to get distracted and, and he starts sinking. And what does God do? He reaches out his hand. He pulls him up out of the water and he sets his feet back on the boat. Zacchaeus, stuck in a life of sin, stuck in a life of taking advantage of people, not knowing how to get out of the cycle of his life, the cycle that he had created. All of this, he's there. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, listen, I see you. I see you come to me and in that moment Zacchaeus's life changed church the Lord has an ability that you don't have and the Lord in his grace has inclined himself to extend an invitation to the one stuck in sin I wrote when did you first look up and confess Jesus have you forgotten when did you look up and say, I need you, Lord? We sing that hymn, I need thee every hour. If you don't remember the first time, when's the last time you looked up and said, Jesus, I am stuck in the pit of my own sin. I'm, I'm stuck in this miry clay. I'm stuck in this pit that feels like destruction. If you don't remember the first time, when is the last time? In the New Testament, when we see the word saved, it's often, almost always written in the, what's called the perfect tense. It means what God has done, he began, and it is still affecting you every day from here on to eternity. Do you know that the salvation of God is not simply this one and done moment in your life? When Jesus Christ reaches out and you take his hand at his invitation, in that moment, you are saved that day and tomorrow and every day throughout eternity, church. So as a believer, your testimony does have a beginning point but it never lacks content because Jesus Christ offers a perfect salvation that sets your feet on solid rock day after day after day church that's where our testimony begins and it's what the world needs to hear I was anxious because of my circumstances and I had tried everything and I looked up and God was always there waiting for me, not begging for me to come, not weak and, and, and pleading, 
waiting for me to accept his invitation. Church verse 3 goes on, and I wrote in my notes that verse 3 is like the summary. Some of you are, are summary people like me. In other words, before you pick up a book, you need to know what it's about. Like, you need to read the plot summary. You don't read for fun. You read for purpose, right? Verse 3 is like the purpose of this statement. Let's go look at what this for me. It says this, He, the Lord, put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Church, I, I need you to understand that witnessing to others is an act of worship. That, that's why it brings you closer. That's why, it, that's why it draws you near to them. I mean, when, when you think about that, how can witnessing bring you closer, all right? This is, this is a, we'll just use it this way, all right? Um, we'll play, play around. If you're married in this room and you're a guy, I just want you to look at your wife real quick, okay? We'll play this game. I'll look at mine. All right, now I want you to look to someone else around you and say, she's the biggest blessing in my life right now. Yeah, some of you are lying, right? No, 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 no better. No, no, but honestly, doesn't that, doesn't that make it deeper? When you walk around and say, your wife is, my wife is the best wife in the room, you're like, well, no, no, my wife's the best wife. Guys, if there's ever a fight your wives want to see, it's like you saying that you have the better wife than them. Like, that's it. When we, when we bless, when we testify about someone else and their goodness, it draws us nearer in our relationship with them. With God, when we testify about the greatest one above all things, it's an act of worship. And here's the beautiful thing. David says, he put a new song in my mouth. Well, of course he did. You're no longer looking at stone walls and the, the pit and the mire of your sin. When God brings you out of the pit and he puts you on the walk, the rock, he opens your eyes to his goodness revealed in all creation and to all creation. And church, our songs should praise the Lord for it. The day that we have, the things that God has done, the moments in our life, the rescuing and the victories. They're acts of worship that bring us closer to God. The prophet Jeremiah says it this way in Lamentations chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Jesus witnessed every day of his life as an act of worship. His coming in the flesh was an act of worship. He didn't lack content. David wrote the Psalms over and over and over. Why? To witness about the goodness of God. We, we can look at the Gospel of John. John writes his Gospel. Why? To help others see the goodness of God so that he might worship and they might become worshipers also. Church, it is through our testimony, through our song, that we have a greater purpose in our salvation. It is not simply for us. Church, God did not offer salvation because you impressed him. He didn't do it. God does not need me or you. He is not incomplete without us. 
He offered salvation because of his character and his love. And in that, we not only have something to sing about, but we understand that our salvation isn't just about us. It's about everybody else in the world too. It's a song that God has given us to extend. David uses these words at the end. After our song of prayer, verse three, the second half, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Do you know that's the purpose of our testimony? That people would see and fear or hear and fear and put their trust in the Lord. When we think of fear, we think of the distorted, you know, uh, tragic horror movies or whatnot from the 80s or 90s or whatnot. That, that's, that's not biblical fear. Biblical fear, as we look at it from God's people, is awe. Listen to what the Lord says in a conversation he has with, with Satan in Job chapter 1. This is what happens. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. This, this sounds like Satan is saying to the Lord when he's saying, have you considered him? He's like, well, of course he's going to fear you. You're so good to him. He's not saying he's afraid of you. He's saying, of course he's going to live in awe of you. He is so aware of your goodness at every corner. Of course he will. And God says, I'll call your bluff. He's going to see my goodness, not just in good times, but in tragic times, in hard times. He's going to be aware, and his testimony will be even greater. Give it a shot. See what happens. Satan has a fatal flaw in his understanding of the goodness of God, of the presence of God, of the salvation of God. It is not about what God has done or can do, what he can give. It's about who he is. And so when we sing of God's praises to those around us, what we're doing is we're inviting them to stand in awe of God like we do. That's what we're inviting people to do. That's why we, we don't do well when we share someone else's testimony. It's not as powerful when you say, well, I have a friend and he really loves Jesus and that's awesome. If, if your friend's testimony didn't impact your life, then you telling someone about your friend's testimony is not going to be super strong either. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a testimony and it needs to be shared so that others may see and fear and find themselves inclining or crying out to God. So this is what I want to ask. What part of your testimony confesses that you aren't a mud dweller anymore? That you have been with Jesus? How different is that than the songs you sang before you were rescued? What part of your testimony says, I'm not a mud dweller? What part of your testimony says, this song is different? And, and you can see it and hear it in me church that's evangelism sharing the good news of what god has done rescuing us verse four and five are kind of the meat of understanding the testimony reading your bible with me this is what it says blessed is the man who makes the lord his trust who does not turn to the proud to those who go astray after a lie you have multiplied O lord my god your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us none can compare with you and i will proclaim and tell of them when they 
are more than could be told. This is it. Did you hear about God in that passage? What, what does a song about God sound like? It sounds like verse 4 and 5. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who doesn't go to the left or right, who doesn't turn astray from him. God's multiplied the wondrous deeds towards us. No one compares with him. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In other words, God is bigger than you could ask, dream, or imagine, but that will not stop me from trying to help you see him the clearest I can possibly share with you. Church, I think sometimes we think what we can't imagine, like we can't imagine what's in store for us. We, we can't imagine what eternity is going to be like with Christ. I think sometimes that thought keeps us from trying. God, nowhere in Scripture says, please don't think about eternity. Don't dream about how incredible it might be with me. Just be surprised. Church, you're going to be surprised. But anticipate it. Like a kid picking up their Christmas box and shaking it anticipate it when you and i talk about what god has done who god is in his glory and in his presence what we are saying is this i have exchanged a lie for the truth so let me tell you about the truth and let me expose to you the lie we're really familiar with the inverse of this in romans chapter one in Romans chapter 1, we're familiar. It says, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, the impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Church, that's a warning, but the meat of our invitation is the opposite. Not that we are a people exchanging truth for a lie, but instead we are a people who have changed, exchanged the lie for the truth is that your testimony when, when you talk to people about god do you tell them how god has taken you out of the miry pit put you on the rock that's a contrast do you tell them how you were living a lie and now god has shown you the truth that's a contrast your witnessing needs to involve the contrast of showing that this is where i was and this is where i am when we look in in this passage we start to see in verse four Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and he does not turn to the proud. This is David showing the contrast. You see, the word proud is actually the word Rahab. The word Rahab we often think of as the prostitute of the Old Testament. But Rahab was actually a word that was used for Egypt. It was a word that was used for the sea monster. Rahab was a word that was used for influential, powerful things grounded in this world. And what the Lord says, or what David says about his testimony is this, church. They are not enough. The alluring power of our desires, the alluring power of this world, the alluring influence that is grounded in this world, blesses the man who no longer thinks the answer is in that garbage. Church, when we think of what Christ has done for us, we need to contrast the riches and the power and the experience of God with the place that we used to turn. The lust of the heart, the pride of the eyes, the acts of the hands. It's not hard because the more that we think about it, the more we, we know and we know how we stumble when we flip it back. We know how we find judgment, church, in that when you find yourself different, we start abandoning the things of this world and we tell
tell everybody gladly, this is where I was and this is who I am. And church, we have to be careful. One of my favorite books is The Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, in Pilgrim's Progress, as Christian is making his way to the celestial city, it's a picture of uh, a believer's life from the time he has experienced salvation till his death. But he tries a shortcut. And the shortcut is through the town where Mr. Morality lives. And Mr. Morality offers you a shortcut to the good life. If you can just follow all the morals, all the laws, all the rules on your own, then you can get to, to heaven and bypass the hard stuff of following the Lord. The problem is, is that no man, no woman can ever do that because we can't get out of the cistern. We can't build a ladder out of the best made stuff. We can't fulfill the law. We can't be on our own church. We are not moral. It can't happen. Verse 6 through 8 says it this way. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering, sin offering, you have not required. Then I say, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Church, what the psalmist says is, it's not a ritual that I do on the outside that draws me near to you on the inside. But it's what you have done on the inside which transforms my outside. Is that your testimony today? Have you found yourself in the midst of all of what's going on saying to God, look, I know it's all about you. Have, you. have you looked at those around you when they've said, how do I draw near to God? Church, sometimes our testimony can be confused with morality. It can be used with a man-made ladder that we offer to people to try to get them out of a cistern that we can't get out of ourselves. The works that you do for God, if they are done in order to appease him or to please him, they will not offer life. Jesus says it very clearly. It's not that comes from without that the man puts in his mouth that defiles him because it's just going to go out again. In the same way, church, there's nothing that you have done and there's nothing that anyone else can do. You can't clean up your life before you come to Christ. You, you didn't clean up your life. You didn't check off some boxes. You came to him broken, beaten, stuck in a pit, playing in your own sin, and he inclined to help you out. Church, in the middle of all of that, our testimony is simple because it's not about us. It's about his story of salvation every day, in and out. And so don't muddy the waters by, by telling people there are rituals they can do to start climbing out of the pit to get closer to God so we want to reach down so far. Jesus says, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the man speaks. Every single good thing in you, believer, every single one, every single action on the outside that is good and honoring to God is a reflection of what he has already done in you. There is not a single thing 
that you do in life that is not tied to that moment that is pleasing to him. So it's not your testimony. I think we have made it really difficult. And so when you share the words of Christ, when you share your testimony, when you remember, church, don't confuse your Christian life with the tools of salvation. They reflect the reality of salvation, not the way to it. David ends his psalm with verse 9 and 10. So I've told the glad news of deliverance. In the great congregation, behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance in my heart. I have spoken your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Basically, here's what David says. I will not be silent to any man, woman, or child about what God has done for me. I, I will not be still. I will not sit still. I, I will live out my life. I won't conceal it. I won't hide it. I won't try to outmaneuver or outsmart the system. David says, I, in speaking on behalf of your people, I will speak boldly. I will share freely. And I will testify of the truth. This morning, church, if you're a believer and the enemy has made your lips dry with the testimony of Christ Jesus. I pray that you would let his word wet your lips because there's a world in need of the salvation that you have been afforded and you draw near to Christ when you speak of it. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, don't have to listen to me, just listen to David's testimony. You're stuck in a pit that no matter what you do, you cannot build a bridge to connect you in a relationship with God on your own. And you know that. But Christ was given to reach his hand out for you so that you, when you looked up, would see he was already there. He was already calling. He was already reaching. All you have to do is cry out. I'm stuck in my sin. I confess I am unable to remove myself from it, but I believe you are. And so I surrender control of my life to the hand that I reach out to, Jesus Christ, my Lord. And if that is the confession of your heart today, reach out, speak to him and start your journey and your testimony. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, we forget that bragging on people we love draws us near to the people we love. When our kids overhear us telling someone how much we love them, it draws our hearts closer together with our child. 
when we gloat on our spouse, when we praise our parents, when we compliment a friend behind their backs. But we, we forget that that draws us nearer to the one we compliment and it edifies them to the ones we speak to. So Father God, I pray that our testimony would be that way, that we wouldn't make David someone he's not. Lord, he was waiting expectantly with eagerness when he realized the condition he was in. Lord, we praise you that hope does not disappoint. So Father God, if there is any in this room today that hasn't thought of their testimony, they've never spoken it out loud, God, today would you put a fire in them to draw near to you by speaking of their testimony of Jesus Christ to others. If there's a man or a woman, boy or girl in this place watching online or that does not have a relationship with you, Father God, let them follow the words of the psalmist to admit their circumstances, to look up and believe that you're able and to surrender their life to you. In Jesus' name.